Yo, yo, this is Justin B. Bieber. Hey, it's Ariana Grande. Just the interviews. A Zach Sang Show exclusive podcast. We got Dan. Hey. We got me. And we welcome to the studio, Mr. George Ezra. Yes. Hey. You, you were nominated for three Brit Awards, dude. I know. And do you know what? I kind of found out a little bit before everyone else and then kind of just completely forgot. And then friends text me when it came out going, dude, three Brits. I was like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. You know? I mean, it's a huge thing. And it's a big message because you got four nominations in 2015 around the first album. Yeah, yeah. And now to have an additional three. Yeah. Is this like a validating thing for you? It's, I think it's um, it's very flattering. I don't think it's validating. I think it's more just flattering. And it, it kind of... Um, it's just such a nice thing to be a part of. Because when you're in the room, it's all of your peers. It's all of the contemporaries. It's There's some legends there. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a very surreal thing to be invited to be a part of. Um, and last year I went, having not released music, and I wasn't nominated for anything. I just got to go as a guest. Is that weird? Yeah, it, it, it was more just, it was more so, I wasn't drinking, and the room, they're just so drunk, and you're seeing all these people on paper you respect, and then you're like, oh God, am I this bad when I drink? No, but it, 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 it was Reevaluate nice. everything. The, the nice thing to going along when you're not involved is essentially you're just going out for a nice dinner, because, you know, they give you some food while you're there. I got to wear a suit, which was nice, and I didn't have any of the anxiety of either performing or being nominated for anything. But while you're there, how far along are you with staying at tomorrow's? Well, when, when we get there. Well, when you were there last year, how oh. completed was the album? The album was finished, it just wasn't out yet. So I think the album came out like a, literally a month after the Brits last year. So I think I was kind of, I had a song about to come out or a song that was just out. Um, but it was like the dawn of everything kicking off again. Pretty cool to sit there, right? Yeah, yeah, Knowing yeah. that you could be there the, the yeah, next year with some nominations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tell me the story about how this album came to be. Uh, it's crazy that you lived with a stranger. <laughs> like, what the yeah, so oh, good. We're allowed to swear. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, no, no, cool. Actually, I no, that yeah, is okay, not good. true. We are not allowed to curse. Okay, oh. just be really. What the f- are you doing? I'm sorry. Just <laughs> <Let's> be relaxed. <laughs> um, so, I was in a fortunate position. I had this month off, and I find it really helps me when I'm able to go and see something new, meet some new people, and get inspired instead of being. At home. When you're at home, you're kind of used to everything going on around you. But new experiences, new stories. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of, when I do these trips, on the first album, I traveled around Europe by train for a month and I just kept the journal. Everything, every day I kept the journal. And then when I got home, that's when I wrote the songs. And for this one, I went to Barcelona and instead of staying in a hotel, I found this stranger (laughs) on the internet that was just renting out their spare room. Um... And so I did it, and I kind Talk of... about new. Yeah, I kind of thought to myself, well, if they're crazy, you know, if my host is unhinged, I can always just leave. Um, and it just, it was the best thing I could have done. My host was a girl called Tamara, and Tamara and her friends, they were musicians and artists, designers, journalists, and they worked Monday to Friday, so I didn't even really see them that much. It was just amazing. Having the key to this place meant that I was able to live in this city for a month. So do they know you? 
No, so there was one night where me and Tamara actually, we were having a few glasses of red wine and sharing some music. And she said, oh, you've got a guitar. Do you play at all? <laughs> and then I was like, do I tell her? You know, because I was quite liking the anonymity. I was liking, you know. And so I said, oh, if you type in George Ezra on Spotify. And at that point, a song of mine, Budapest, had over 400 million plays. And she looked at me like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know? why, why are you in my apartment? Um, yeah, but she was cool. It, it was an amazing time to be there. Yeah, it was brilliant. Did you miss that feeling of anonymity and well, no, mystery? Well, I do miss it sometimes. Well, it's not that I miss it, but I just, when I am aware... So the reason I chose Barcelona is because whilst it's somewhere I love... I've never really gigged there. I don't really have a fan base there. Nobody so, knows you. Yeah, so I can just walk around and it's fine. And, and I do. It's not that I miss it, but I do certainly appreciate it when I realise I'm experiencing it. It's like, oh, this is brilliant. You know, is it because you can live life normally, so it's better for it's inspiration? Not so that, it's not that it's not normal when you're in a place that you are known. Say, because even if you know, a whole city doesn't know you. you Not know? everybody. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's more just that, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you just relax a little bit more. You don't have to think about it. Every time I walk out of my place in London, I forget that people might recognize me. And then someone's like, oh, George, how are you? I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But it, And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, am I okay? I'm not behaving weirdly, am I? Are people looking at me weird? You know, <laughs> you become so, aware of every action. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, how much of the album is actually written at her house? Uh, none. So, what I did again, I kept the journal Got and just it. like every day I'm walking around um, and just taking a note of everything I was doing. And then when I get home, that's when I write the songs. What are you jotting down? Is it lyrics? Is it? Yeah, it, it does like. As a start, at the beginning of the day, it is just a diary entry. You know, today, this is what I'm going to do, or this is what I'm currently doing, sat in a cafe, and then I'll write down what it is I can see outside. And there's always something when you're people watching, you know, take a note of that guy, that guy, oh my God, look at her, you know, that kind of thing. And then every now and then I drift into like a bit of fiction where you just start writing nonsense, and then, and then sometimes a lyric will come in and there'll be verses in the book as well. So it's this real... I mean, it probably looks like the, the ramblings of a madman if anyone else read through it, but to me it kind of makes sense when I read back through it. So are you the only person writing these records? Uh, what, in this nature? Yeah. Or am I writing with somebody else? I mean, do you bring in a co-writer eventually? Yeah, yeah. So when I get home, I write with a friend of mine. His name's Joel. And what I'll do is when I get home, I'll um, pop the diary in a jiffy bag and I'll <laughs> post it to him and I let him read it. And he's the only person I would allow to read it, you know. Um, and he'll kind of highlight bits or take notes of bits that stand out to him. And it might be one word, two words, a whole verse or whatever. And then when we're together, um, yeah, we write songs together. And then I'll read back through the journal then and it's all see I forget all of it and it's all new to me as well. Wow. So he decodes your madness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you reread it once it's fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did this guy become the trusted reader of your journal? It's funny, man, because a lot of people in music today, you know, collaborating and writing with other people is very common. What isn't so common, I don't think, is to have someone like I do with Joel, where it's your guy, your partner, yeah. as it were. I think a lot of people do okay, I'm writing at the moment and they'll do four sessions a week each with a different person. 
and that's brilliant that can be amazing because you're on your toes it's new people it's like oh you know um but what me and joel have that i guess those people don't have is like a level of trust and friendship where we can be completely honest with each other and it means i i would assume that the songs are that bit more honest because you understand each other on a deeper level it's more than just a few hours in the studio exactly and i trust him man so it's kind of the the thing the reason collaborating on anything is so beneficial is because you're put in a position where there's someone else in the room that can tell you when you're going wrong you know um and to have someone that and that can be annoying when it's someone you don't really know if you're doing something and someone you don't really know is like that's not good you look at them like what What are you you talking about yeah Yeah. whereas when it's joel it's like okay cool he's got my best interest every time yeah and he knows when i'm performing my best and when i'm not that's a really beautiful thing to have with someone i think so it's really special when you say it like that yeah 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 it's cool yeah so okay what is the biggest difference between staying at tomorrow's and wanted on voyage i think so mainly when i was recording wanted on voyage which was the first album I didn't even think anyone was going to hear it. You know, you're just this kid in the studio having fun. Um, and you can't put any pressure on it because your audience is small, you know? You're related to most of them. You know, it's like it's just friends and family just supporting you. Um, and then the difference going into record the second album is by that point I had toured and I had played on some of the biggest festival stages and played theatres, beautiful theatres, played with a four-piece band now i play with a seven-piece band and and you're aware of what you like to do live and the thing that i loved the most was just giving people in the audience an opportunity to kind of escape and kind of switch off from the outside world and just have fun and going into the second album knowing that you can do that it, it makes it even more fun to produce the songs because you know what you're trying to create one of the questions i had is how much fun is this new album to play live because it seems like it's so much fun it's like it just kicks off and not in like a kind of like edm way it's not like it goes mad in that sense but it just you can tell that people let go of something and just enjoy themselves and i always say to myself and to the band people in the audience can't relax unless we're relaxed Mm -hmm. you know if we're on stage and we're all uptight and that will feed through the venue so we try and have as much and i kind of i try and urge them to dance no matter how bad they are the band this is you know and I, <laughs> like and i just i get them to be as silly as possible so that people relax it also seems like there's a lot of opportunity in these songs for the audience to get involved whether it's like clapping yeah. or singing back or the like little chant parts in the music yeah, yeah well this is it like Something I realised, and so an artist that I fell in love with when I was younger was a guy, Woody Guthrie, and his songs would often be just him and a guitar in the verses, just singing, and then in the chorus, like four other, and often it would just be male vocals, would join him, and subconsciously as a listener you're going, oh cool, this is the bit where I can sing along. Mm-hmm. And so we littered the album with backing vocals, and like just every song has these big group vocals, so that live people know like, oh, it's okay, I can join in now, yeah. you know? Don't matter now. Yeah, that yeah, record, yeah, yeah. I mean, between the horns and the vocals, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a party. Yeah, exactly that. And it is uh, throughout, and, and live as well, you get to accentuate those things so you can make the horns are even more prominent when we play live. Um, 
yeah, I love the album. Not in a kind of, hmm, aren't I great? It just it makes, when we play it live, it makes me feel good. It's enjoyable for you. Yeah. And yeah. you want that because it's with you forever. Yeah, 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 man. If I didn't enjoy them, I'd be screwed. Zach <laughs> Sancho. Hey, really quick. I'm no math guy. I'm no stock guy. And then my friend told me about this app called Robinhood, and I checked it out. And it's kind of cool. It's an investing app that lets you pretty easily buy and sell stocks, EFTs, options, and cryptocurrency, and allows you to do it all commission-free. I don't know the first thing about stocks, but I downloaded Robinhood, checked it out, and it's easy to navigate, easy to understand, and you can buy and sell stocks in as simple as like four taps on your phone. Seriously, something that seems so complicated, they made so simple. Plus... It's all commission-free. I don't really know, but I heard that these brokerage firms, I guess that do stock stuff too, could charge you up to $10 for a single transaction. Robinhood is totally not down for that. If you're currently investing or you're thinking about it, Robinhood, totally worth your time. At least check it out. Plus, they want to give you, my friends, a free stock. They want to make you into Daddy Warbucks. They want to give you a free Apple stock, Ford stock, Sprint stock. If you're interested, sign up right now. ZachSang.RobinHood.com That is ZachSang.RobinHood.com Zach Sang Show Is there a story you're trying to tell with Stan at Tamara's? I don't think so as such I think there was more of a feeling in my head of um, I really appreciated the month away just to switch off the, the, the first album was so mad, you know, it just kicked you know, it, it was it did better than I was anticipating <laughs> it might do, so we were busier than I thought we might be um, and so it was just that, that the giving the opportunity just to escape a little bit and trying to write songs that kind of soundtrack that you know um, I think that's the narrative Bikini Bottom was, yeah. was that a risky lyric in your brain at all or did it just flow naturally <laughs> no so I had this lyric for about two or three years I wrote Bikini Bottoms Lager Tops now back home I don't know if you have this but if you order a beer and you order a lager top, it's when they just put a bit of lemonade in the top and it makes you drink a bit. It's like a bit oh. more refreshing in the summer sun, right? I feel like I could drink a beer if it's like that. Yeah, man, it's, it's lovely, especially with lager. So you have like a lager top um, and sometimes it will be like half-half. That's more like a shandy, but a lager top has a bit of lemonade. It's good. Um, so I wrote this lyric, Bikini Bottom Lager Tops. And I was trying to cram it into so many songs. And Joel was just like, man, can you put that lyric to bed? It's just like, <laughs> you can't just put it into any old song. And then we were writing Shotgun. And I was like, you know when you have a light bulb moment? I was like, I couldn't use it. <laughs> and this was like two years after first writing it. So we had a laugh about that. But I think it fits. How proud are you? So I'm just, It's not even proud. I'm just so relieved. That was like just keeping me up at night, that lyric. Why, you- why did it fit in the Shotgun? It's just that that atmosphere I think I think it suits the the image of the song perfectly I think what is that record about where did it start for you so essentially I delivered the album staying at Tamara's and the head of my record label he said I think you've got one more song in you and I was like oh okay (laughs) and then that's when I wrote Shotgun and I think it kind of to me it kind of sums up the feeling of the whole album like if 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 someone wasn't able to listen to the whole album and they just had to listen to one song, I think that would be the one to go for. I think that's a big statement. Yeah, is that the record you're the most connected with? I think at the moment it certainly is because it. You know, we've been promoting it for a while now because of back home and Australia, Europe. It, like it, that kind of last year, we were promoting it for a good chunk of the year, um, and you just get into that bubble, you know, of that song. 
hearing it over and over. Yeah, yeah. What it, was the uh, story that inspired that song? Again, I think it was just more the atmosphere of being in Barcelona. I was able to switch off and, you know, I'm the only one of my friends that doesn't actually have a driving license. So that is where I belong in the shotgun seat. <laughs> and only. Yeah, exactly. And so, but as a result, yeah, I think it just sums up how I felt while I was in Barcelona. If we were to listen to one song on this album, to understand George Ezra at this moment or over the last six months, whatever... What song should we listen to? I think that. I think I think I'd go with Shotgun Man. I think so. Really? Yeah. Only Human. Yeah, that's a beautiful song. Is that a reminder to yourself? Yeah, it was um I think it's just one of those songs. It came quite naturally that one to me and Joel and we started to write it and it just flowed out. And Joel always has this thing as well where he's like, listen, sometimes a song when you write it, you won't even know why you've written it at the time and then in two years' time it will make complete sense to you. But I think only a human... That is a reminder. Just chill out, George. You're all right. It hit me. Yeah. Dude, I've listened yeah. to it a few times. Yeah, thank you, man. Every time when it was needed. Yeah, yeah. It's really nice. Thank you. When you're creating a song, does your voice weigh heavily into the production process? I would I would think not, but I'm sure... So Cam, who's produced all my stuff, he will be aware that it has to be front and centre of whatever we're doing, I think. I think I kind of forget that, and um, he will be aware of that. How do you see your voice in the creation process? It's a good question. I think... I love singing. I don't, like, I don't think too much about it. I just love doing it. In the creation, I don't, but I don't rely on it to. I don't think to myself, "Oh, you're you're a voice." Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I I love doing it, but um, I guess I just use it as an instrument in the studio. You know, it's part of the song. Because you, it, it's very important to never produce too heavy or produce yeah. too light, right? Yeah. So it's really a beautiful craft and a beautiful balance. Yeah, yeah. It's really... I, I, it blows my mind. Like, even though I'm involved and I'm in the studio every day that we do the recording of the album, I just... And I, and I always say that a song will sound how it's supposed to sound because when you get it right, it's like, that's perfect. <laughs> you know, that's how it should be. But it's you need patience, man. And you need a patience that I don't have. <laughs> you know, because it's just... Some days you'll spend four hours listening to one snare hit and you're just, your eyes go, you're like, oh my God, I can't even remember what it sounded like before. I don't know. I don't know. And, and that's why I'm always, I, it's a bit of an open door in the studio because I invite people in that haven't been going stir crazy in this room without any natural light to come in and go like, no, that sounds mental. You need to get rid of Fresh that. Fresh ears. Yeah, exactly. When do you realize you can sing? I don't, is there a moment? Not necessarily a moment. I think there was like a period of time where I realized I was singing a lot and I was probably like 14, 15. Uh, or there was a, when I was at like 13, 14, that's when I realized I could sing in the sense that I was allowed to sing. That's when I realized, I, oh, like, cool, I can sing if I want to. Like somebody wanted you to sing? Not so much that. I think I just, I loved it so much and no one told me to shut up in the house. That was the most amazing <laughs> thing was no, look, my parents were so patient with me just you know belting away in my voice in my in my in my room was there ever one person who was like you have a voice and you should do something here i think various people said it along the way 
but you kind of don't take them seriously because it's it just to you it just sounds like your voice you know you don't know yeah it just sounds like well i don't know it just sounds like me singing pretty cool yeah it seems like the album kind of starts on like this high high energy happy and kind of yeah. gets a little sadder towards yeah. the end would you say that yeah and so on the first half it was similar as well like the first half was definitely lighter and then the second half wasn't so much sadder but a bit darker and then this one is a bit sadder i guess um i guess i'm just aware it's they're just the songs i wrote i think it's good to have like a balance of the two mm-hmm. and i don't like albums that go from one to the other like two tracks of up and then yep. a song that's down so it's, it feels good to split it in half and it seems me. like Sugarcoat kind of splits them it seems like yeah. a perfect split between the high energy because it just starts to slow down a little bit yeah yeah man also the exactly it yeah. perfect song to do it yeah yeah thank you what? The one of the darkest songs that you've ever put out, in my opinion, it was Spectacular Rival. Yeah, that was that's off the la- the first album. Yeah, yeah. Where were you when you wrote that? <laughs> where were you at? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, actually, geographically, where I was was me and Joel <laughs> go to this cabin in Wales, and it's just this like converted cow shed, and we used to go there on the first album a lot. Sounds beautiful. Uh, it is beautiful, man. Uh, but the issue is, we would drink most nights and start to write, and then in the morning we would carry on with what we had written while we were a bit drunk the <laughs> night before, and we woke up to this demo of Spectacular Rival, and uh, we just rolled with it. And it was a cool, it was creative, the, the process of it. It was just fun going into that character, as it were. And it was nice to end the first album on that. Uh, it, it just felt like something that was a bit of a curveball compared to the rest. Are the two albums connected at all? Or are they standalone chapters? I and- think they are. I think if you heard one and then the other, it would make sense that it was the same person, you know? Of course. You know? I, I, I don't. And I think they are connected in that. I'm a similar age still, and although I'm busier now, I feel like the same person. It, it's kind of like just an extension of. And I understand that, that. Yeah, yeah. How do you remain the same person? Because Budapest, I mean, that changes your life. Yeah, it does, but you're too busy to notice it. Because yeah. it's like, I think there's this like this image that people like to imagine it's like, that you're living this high life. You're too busy to do that, you know. You don't get weekends and stuff. You're just on the road and you're on the move. And that's not a bad thing. It's brilliant. What it means is that there's more people at the gigs. There's actually people at the gigs. That's the main (laughs) thing. Um, uh, Yeah. I don't know. It just didn't really... It wasn't something I had to worry about. But a lot of people can get lost in that. Mm. Would you credit your diaries for kind of staying present? No, I don't, not so much the diaries. I think it's more. I think it's more the like company you keep. You know, I'm still friends mm. with the same people, and they, you know, they support me, and they 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 congratulate me when things are going well. But they don't really care that much. <laughs> just <laughs> like, yeah, cool. <laughs> you know, that's what you want, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, it just meant that you know, when I go home, it's not like a big fanfare. People are just like, all right, mate. <laughs> yeah, good job again. Yeah, exactly. You don't want people sucking on your toes. Exactly. That's, Never. I don't no. <laughs> want anyone sucking on my toes. <laughs> you know, one of the things my dad is very proud of is hearing you for the first time on WFUV, mm-hmm. a radio station in New York. It's one of like the first big indie stations. Okay. And they took your record on, I mean, right when Budapest hit for the first time yeah. ever. I mean, there is something about your music and your voice that is kind of like a genre into itself. 
Do you, yeah. do you look at it like that? I do. It's hard to say that because a lot there'll be some people that are just like, well, it's just pop music. And there'll be some people that go mm-hmm. like, well, it's, it's, if, if, to me, I like to think that if there's a tightrope, I'm bang on the middle of this tightrope. And if I write a song that's too far one way, then I fall into the pop, pop world. And if I write a song that's too far the other way, it's too obscure, if that makes sense. I, I get it. And, and I like where I am. Uh, some people would disagree with me, I'm sure. But I, I like to think that. And I think that I didn't realize how quirky the first album was until I listened back to it kind of last year. And I was like, this is a weird sounding album. <laughs> you know, there's like weird noises on this album. <laughs> no song is the same or yeah, alike. Yeah. And when I hear Budapest now, it does. I'm amazed that it did so well. Like, because even though the melody's there and everything, it is an odd sounding song. It, for the world that it lived in, you know. Do you think it's a timeless record? I don't know. I think it's, it's hard. I don't. I don't know. We'll have to sit down in like twenty years. We'll get get together <laughs> and we'll see. It's, we'll see if to. it's lasted the test of time. And I think you got a timeless record off of Stan at Tamara's too. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Thank you very much, man. Dan Zolot. So there's a couple of songs where you do like weird things with your voice, like lightning. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> do you do that? Like, is that just kind of? on the spot or is that written into it or how do you decide when you're going to do those weird things with your voice so the one thing I was aware about Budapest when I sit back saying that it sounds like a weird song is it's full of hooks and hooks don't necessarily have to be they're just things that make it stand out Mm -hmm. and I see those things as hooks so you know, in shotgun, I could go yes to this. Yeah. People will remember that. I sing it every time dude. And it's because it's like a weird (laughs) I'm aware that it's a bit odd, but yeah. I'm also aware that it will stay in people's minds. But catch someone's attention. Yeah, exactly. Does it come out organically like that, or is yeah. that a strategic move? No, it does come out organically, but then so often I have to rein it in. I do it a lot, a lot, and I have to, because otherwise it would be in every song, those little jumps and things, and I have to not, because it. I find it fun. <laughs> you know, does that, I find that it fun to do. keep it fresh for you? Yeah, absolutely. And then, and also, what normally in the studio, what we do is every instrument that we put on, we try and make it as hooky as possible until you can't listen to it because it's just like, and then we rein it in. Okay. You know, and then you you lessen the bass and and you leave bits in. And what I'll do, I'll pick up the electric guitar and all of those like, like, and all of those kind of little riffs, I cover the song in them and then we pick the best ones. You know, so you kind of like wow. build this up, build it up, build it up, and then, and then break take it, it back down. down. Yeah, I think if I if I released them when we had everything on it, it would just scare people away. <laughs> I think. How did that process come to be? Um, I just, it's just how I love music. Like I like hooky music, and and I, it just makes sense to me that you would try and make every instrument have as much fun, you know, as possible. It shines through. Did you work? Was there like a choir in the studio with you, or is it just like you and like other people in the studio singing along with all these voices, or is it you on top of yourself? We had one or two choirs come down, and the issue was they sounded too good. You know, they <laughs> wow. sounded like professional singers. Um, so that that's when me and Cam, the producer, we would kind of stand around a microphone, we would sing the backing vocals, and we would do one pass where we sang it as best we could. Then we'd do one pass as shouty as we could then we'd do another as feminine as we could then we'd do Elvis Presley impersonations and then we'd you know and just layer it up layer it up layer it up until it sounded like a huge gang of people each with their own character well you nailed it yeah you have. yeah you really did what is the highlight to you when it comes to making music like what's your favorite part of the process 
I'm awful, man, because whatever I'm doing, I want to be doing the next thing. So when I'm writing, I want to be recording. When I'm recording, I want to be gigging. Once I'm gigging, I want to be writing again. Um, so I love it all, I think, is the answer. I, th- I think I'm just, uh, I'm always on to the next thing. Hard to stay focused on what's in front of you? It's more like I like the chase. And then once it's like, so I love, like, before the album's released, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then it's released, I'm cool. I'm like, okay, cool, let's gig, gig. You know, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm over things once they're achieved. I get it. Yeah. Keep, it keeps it moving. Yeah, I think so. But you took the right amount of time between the first album and the second. I'd say it was a bit too long. Really? Yeah. I'd I, say so. Do you feel like people kind of like forgot the name George Ezra from Budapest? Yeah, I, th- I think it was more that when you're coming back, you're no longer... Jo- it's more like, oh, you're the kid that sang Budapest instead of it being like it rolling into mm-hmm. the next album. So what, what happened was I had to build it up again and reintroduce myself to everyone, which is fine. It just isn't ideal. It's like, oh, this is like momentum we've lost. But, but the other thing is you can't rush an album so if the next one takes as long if not longer then that's just the way it is dude that that's it yeah, and yeah. you've still achieved incredible success with this album yeah yeah and maybe if you release it a little bit earlier or sooner it might not have happened that's it that's a good way of thinking Zach that TLC baby yeah, it matters <laughs> George Ezra I think uh, we covered a lot here we gotta talk about the podcast oh my god yeah George Ezra and Friends the podcast what's the hardest part of hosting a podcast um, finding time where you and your guests are both free. That's mm. the thing, because it's not my, like, it's like a side hustle. So, you know, <laughs> I have to prioritize touring and everything. And your voice. And Yeah, yeah, there is that. And then, and then you'll catch, you'll get a bit of a snag where someone's like, yeah, yeah, I'm up for it. And then you start going like, okay, cool, when are you free? And then you're not free when they are. And then you're free and they're not. Um but outside of that, the whole thing's just a pleasure. It's just amazing. I, I feel very lucky that I get to do it. You get some good guests. Yeah, well, for anyone listening, so I sit down with other musicians for like an hour at a time and just talk about what they do and why they do it. And we've had amazing guests. How you know? did you get Elton John? Oh, because, are you kidding? Elton <laughs> loves to support new talent. Mm. You are an incredible new talent. Mm. I'm sure you've run into him a ton of times. No, not... None? <sighs> I not at least at once. Like once. I've ran into it like once or twice. I think it's more that. I think he loves he, music. He's so uh, supportive. Yeah, and, and and he loves to talk about music, you know. <laughs> I don't want to like belittle his involvement in the podcast at all, but I, I yeah. It, but it was, we did it at his, and I was just like, how have you managed this, George? You know, how has this happened? Yeah. What have you learned from the conversations you've had with other musicians? Mainly that no story is the same, you know, nobody's experience is the same. And just the reason I started the podcast was because I remember on the first album, I'd be backstage at festivals and knowing how much energy goes into touring and how tiring it is. I started looking at people who I didn't necessarily like their music, but I was going, but you're you're working hard, you know, (laughs) so you must love it enough to do it this much. And then you realize that it's not about yeah, the people that are on top are on top because they work hard. And I guess that's the same with any industry, but it is, it's amazing to see in music, I think. You get what you give. Yeah, man. Ellen John did say in the podcast that he wanted to have you, Sam Smith, and Ed Sheeran over for dinner. Oh. Yeah. Has he followed through with that? He hasn't. He mm. hasn't. So, Elton, mate, if you're listening, where's the invite? <laughs> Come on. I'll bring the potato salad. 
What a guest. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> How could you not want him over for dinner? <laughs> bring potato salad. Yeah. I mean, listen, you're, you're pretty successful, but sitting down at a table with Sam Smith, Ed Sheridan, Elton John. Just well, imagine the egos. It would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> How do you even get a word in? Yeah, man. Oh, God, it would be awful. How do you start that conversation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, that would be, it would be lovely. You want to be nervous? No, I don't think I'd be nervous. Yeah? I don't think so. Not even a shred? I don't think, well, I've toured with Sam Smith which around America, which is, I've spent some time with him. You're friends Ed, with Ed? Ed was on the podcast as well, which is, you know, that was a brilliant conversation. I'd, I'd probably just have a few drinks and sit in the cor- corner and watch it all unfold. <laughs> <laughs> you know, keep myself to myself. Staying at tomorrow, it's totally worth your ear. That is George Ezra's album. Please listen to it. You, you really should. It's a beautiful body of work, man. Thank you very much. Really top to bottom, exquisite. Three Brit nominations. Mm. You should be so proud. Yeah, thank you, man. Your parents cool? They proud? They are. They're just cool. You know, I think they are very proud, but they're not gushy about it. They're just you know they congratulate me and then they they move on I guess <laughs> you know they, they don't dwell on things they're just like that's amazing and then that's cool but that's what you want right absolutely sucking on your toes you don't want that <laughs> no, especially yeah. not your parents no <laughs> George Ezra you're a good man thank you very much thank you for having me thank you thank give it up you. love this podcast is part of the Zach Sang Show Podcast Network